All right, Sixers fans, welcome to a new episode of Sixers Daily. I'm your host, Jazz Kang, going to get into some salary cap talk involving Philly. How did the Montrez Herald deal impact the Sixers bottom line? What are they going to be able to add possibly during the regular season? Plus, we'll talk some general NBA news as well. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Suns, is suspended. Going to give you the details on that and more. But before we jump into things, don't forget, subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us pretty much anywhere you get your fix, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you name it, we are there. And of course, check us out at libertyballers.com. Joining me for this episode, a man who's behind some of the magic you see at Liberty Ballers, our resident salary cap expert, also a great NBA writer as well, Mr. Brian Deporek. Brian, first off, we are now in mid-September, basically, a couple of weeks away from camp. How happy are you? We're finally going to talk about some stuff that's happening on the court. <laughs> I'm pretty excited, although I, I have a couple more things I want to get done before the offseason is over. So uh, I need to get moving on that. What do you need to get done? Uh, I want to write about expansion and how that's going to impact CBA talks. Um, hoping to look at some best bets for the Sixers for the upcoming season as well. Those are the two ones that are front of mind. And I'm sure something else is going to come up in the next two weeks. When you look at the expansion thing, now that you're mentioning that, what, what teams do you do you, or what cities, pardon me, not teams, what, what cities do you think would be at the top of the NBA's list to get a new franchise? And also, you know, they're at 30, 30 teams right now. When you, when you look at adding one or two more teams, depending on what what uh, what Adam Silver and, and company want to do, because you look at the NHL, they rolled with with 31 for, for quite some time. And, mm-hmm. you know, they had the imbalance in the conferences and, and they, with the NBA it might be a similar thing. When you look at that, who's at the top of your list in terms of being able to potentially get a franchise? Yeah, I mean, there was that AP writer a couple of weeks ago that said, you know, Seattle and Las Vegas, the mm-hmm. league is like reportedly planning on uh, announcing the plans in the next couple of weeks. He's since deleted the tweet, so it might have been a premature report, but I think. Those are the two cities for obvious reasons. Seattle, like since the Supersonics left, people have been clamoring to get them a team back. They have a very passionate fan base. Mm -hmm. And then Vegas, I think just every every major sports league wants a cut. And now we've seen, you know, NHL and uh, NFL in particular have now moved in there. And sports gambling has just, you know, become so much more prominent that I think a lot of the fears with Vegas originally were surrounding sports gambling but now that it's just become so much more pervasive the nba wants a cut of having a team in vegas as well it's funny how that happens though hey brian like when you look at it i remember you know obviously you look at the pete rose stuff um you know growing up in in the baseball realm of things but it's like then you had a you know tim donahue in the in the nba and all that but you you look at this and it's like dude yeah as soon as this became legit like it'll i'm sure some states will pass it coming up in the in the midterms in, in November mm-hmm. in terms of allowing sports betting in, in their states. Obviously, places like Vegas, uh, Jersey, Pennsylvania, you're able to make bets online. But when you're looking at w- when you're looking at at the NBA right now, because I, I, I agree with you that Seattle should absolutely have a team. I grew up in, in Vancouver, Canada, you know, just down the road, the I-5 uh, from Seattle. And then, you know, the Sean Kemp, Gary Payton, those squads obviously were great. And I think that those fans got robbed considering mm-hmm. they would have had Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and, and went on a definite run uh, at that point, you know, in the, in the mid-2000s. But looking at looking at this from your perspective, because I've always I've always looked at the league and thought to myself, they should they wouldn't never do it because it's going to cost them money, but contract. Contract for the mm-hmm. reason that you have so many crappy teams that it doesn't make it worth it. And if you look at, you know, the NBA layout 
uh, lay of the land, you know, if you had, uh, let's just say you, I, again, these teams have, have some sort of history. So tough to say, Hey, let's get rid of the Detroit Pistons or the sure. Orlando magic. But, you know, looking around some of these squads, like, let's be real outside of Sacramento. Nobody's going to care that the Kings are gone. You know what I mean? Nobody's <laughs> going to care, but you put the Monte Sabonis, you put the Aaron Fox on these other teams that are coming up that obviously makes them so much better. And it raises the league's floor. You get what I mean? Like almost like to the point that, okay, you're not going to have these crummy teams filling out the bottom four or five slots. You're always going to have those obviously, but it's not mm -hmm. going to be the, these squads that are 17 win teams. So when you look at it, are you in favor of expansion or, or would you oppose it? Yeah, I'm pretty in favor. I mean, I think the league for economic reasons is very in favor. They're looking to recoup a lot of the money that they lost during the COVID times and having two more franchises, all the owners are going to get a cut of the expansion fees. And then, you know, my guess is, I was thinking about this earlier today, like the new TV deal is coming up in a couple of years. I'm guessing they want those teams online by then. So when they're negotiating those TV deals, they've got a 32 team league in place that they're talking about, not just a 30 team league. But I, I think a lot of the changes they've made in recent years between, you know, flattening the lottery odds, introducing the play-in tournament, I think it has incentivized more teams to actually try to win now and not go on these like multi-year rebuilds like the Sixers did and like what the Utah Jazz are about to embark on. Mm -hmm. So there really aren't like, I, you know, my podcast co-host and I, Morton Jensen, we do league pass rankings every year. And I've been saying for months, like this is going to be the hardest year we've ever done. Because outside of like the Jazz and maybe the Spurs, like I want to watch at least one player on every team. I yeah. think there's enough talent, not only throughout the league, but like for those who have been watching Eurobasket, you know, there's enough talent across the globe that you could very easily fill out, you know, two more teams, 30 players and be fine. I don't think it's going to lead to this like massive dilution of talent that's going to hurt the league overall. Yeah, you look at it. I mean, I mentioned the Pacers who are likely going to stink, but I love Tyrese Halliburton. You know what I mean? Right. I can I could watch right. him play any night. You look at the Pistons with Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivey. You know what I mean? You're going to be like, okay, mm -hmm. I want to watch those guys. Orlando's got Paolo Bencaro, and they, they have Franz Wagner. You know, these these are the teams you 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 might have looked at before and been like, ugh, you know, I, I don't. Right. Sorry, dude, I, I don't want to watch Terrence Ross jack up 63 <laughs> pointers in a game. You know what I mean? But sure. um, yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting, but I. I I do think the league needs to find a way to keep that competitive balance. And you mentioned this when you were just talking right now is the play in tournament. I've always been kind of in and out on this. I know strong take there jazz. I know that's what you're probably thinking, but I'll tell you why, <laughs> because to me, I don't think that 10 to play 10 to place team should get it. I think you should have maybe a, a tournament between or, or you go, you know, seven, eight, nine or something mm -hmm. like that, because when we what we've seen from the play-in tournament, yeah, we've had some memorable memorable moments. Obviously, the Lakers Warriors uh, a couple of years ago, or last year in the in the 2021 uh, play-in tournament, that was exciting to watch. And then you look at the the rest of it, though, it's like most of these games turn out to be blowouts. So, you know, to me, it's like, well, what I get it. It incentivizes teams to want to at least make an effort. Hey, maybe we can win a couple of games if you're the 10th seed. Get in, get your butt kicked by the number one seed, which brings in some extra playoff revenue for the owners and and move things along. So. Are you a fan of the play-in tournament overall and, and this new tournament now that they're looking at the in-season thing? Like, wh where do you stand on this? And when do you think is an enough is enough? Yeah, I mean, I, I like the play-in tournament, although I say that with the caveat that the Sixers haven't really been, been affected by it yet. Like, mm -hmm. talk to me when they're in the 6-7 seed range. <laughs> we'll see if, <laughs> if I feel as strongly about it. Um, I do think 
I would like to see them implement what they had in the bubble where there was like a, a cutoff in terms of how close you have to be to be eligible for it. Because like the Timberwolves, I think last year were like 10 games over, you know, the nine and 10 seeds. And like, it would have really sucked if what happened to the Clippers where, you know, Paul George gets hurt and like, they just get knocked out. Um, if that happened to the Timberwolves and like, despite having a way better regular season record than these nine and 10 seeds that they get knocked out because of a fluke injury, you know, in this small sample size, uh, tournament. So that is one thing I'd like to see change, but otherwise I do like it. I do think it, what, however much you think tanking is a problem in the NBA, I do think it helps combat that. Um, and then this in-season tournament proposal based on the details that have been coming out, it sounds like they're going to basically do what they've done in the WNBA with the commissioner's cup where, you know, it's not a separate entity. It's just like, we're going to label certain regular season games as in-season tournament games. And then they have, I guess the, the round of eight, um, sounds like it's still going to be all just in-season regular season games. And then they add one game for the final. So there will be two Mm -hmm. teams that have 83 games instead of 82, but it's not like, they're adding, you know, eight to 10 more regular season games. Cause then I, I know there was a lot of like, all right, cool. Introduce this, but cut the season to 58. They don't need to do that. And, you know, I, I don't know if we'll see what incentives they come up with to make players care about it. Cause that's going to be the first thing you need player buy-in. And then once you get that, yeah, like I, I mean, for, especially for teams that haven't won anything meaningful in a long time, you're telling me like the Sacramento Kings wouldn't be excited about winning this in-season tournament. The New York Knicks wouldn't be excited about winning the in-season tournament. Like, I, you know, I don't know what, what the, you know, they're talking about like a million dollars per player and that, especially for role players, that's a lot of money. Like that should incentivize them to care how you get fans to buy in. That's, you know, the, the bigger challenge, I think, but I, I don't want to poo-poo it before we actually see it in action because I think a lot of people said that about the play-in tournament, and it turned out like that was pretty good so far. When you when you look at again, and you just mentioned this now, Brian, looking at the in-season tournament too, and you're saying, "Hey, yeah, the Knicks might like winning it, the the Kings might like winning it." Do you think it would matter to the stars? Like looking at Steph Curry, looking at you know, you look at Phoenix, a, a guy like Chris Paul, who's obviously mm-hmm. up there in age in the twilight of his career. Um, would winning a tournament does that do anything for the legacy of of the stars or is it going to be something more for hey you know what this is for shits and giggles uh let's try and you know add some excitement to game number 37 of the regular season for some random team uh do you think it's a a big gimmicky that the league is doing this it might be chris paul's best chance at winning (laughs) (laughs) do they get a ring for this when it just i don't know i don't know a participation ribbon what are we giving away brian yeah at this point i i i do think I mean, especially again, from a role player perspective, like for, yeah, Chris Paul or anyone earning $30 million, like even if you win a million dollars, who cares? Like it's a drop in the bucket for you, but like, you know, for the guys toward the end of your roster. So, you know, from a Sixers perspective for Isaiah Joe or Shake Milton, like that's half of their salary this year. That's a lot of money. So I think, you know, the stars on the team can almost like force themselves to care about it, knowing that they're probably going to need some of these role players to step up in the actual playoffs on their road to a hopeful championship. So this is their way of doing those role players a solid. And like, we're, we're going to try to earn you guys some money, but you, you're going to have to pay it back by, you know, hitting some big shots in the playoffs. Let's jump into some Sixers talk. Cause that's what the whole point yes. of this podcast is Brian, but <laughs> I want to do that after a short break. All right. We're back, Brian. Uh, we talked a little bit 
just about some general NBA talk there earlier on. Uh, we'll jump into some Robert Sarver talk at the end of the podcast as well, but jumping into some Sixer specific stuff. Uh, Montrez Harrell ended up signing a two-year deal worth $5.2 million. It's the veterans minimum. Looking at bringing in a guy like that obviously now impacts the younger guys like Paul Reed, like Charles Bassey, presumably going to get moved down the rotation knowing what we know about Doc Rivers and his affinity <laughs> for sticking with veterans, which I think is going to be a huge huge side note to this whole season is what is Doc's coaching like if this team struggles and comes out of the gate you know 11 and 8 11 and 9 and we're at the 30 game mark and they're at 17 and 13 16 and 14 I think the the pressure on Doc is going to amplify times a thousand and we're going to have to look at, at at maybe seriously replacing him at that point but that's a topic for probably not another day Brian that's a topic every day in Sixerland right. is what happens right. with Doc Rivers but uh looking at the Herald signing how do you think that impacts the Sixers rotation? And again, as I mentioned off the top, you're very good with the salary cap. You pretty much will know how it, it impacts pretty much every team inside out, especially the Sixers. When you look at their bottom line, are they going to be able to make any more moves during the regular season to potentially add more pieces sans the buyout market? They will. Uh, it gets a lot more complicated now. So right now they have 17 guys under contract two more than the regular season limit. So they're going to have to either trade two guys away, wave two guys, whatever the case, they need to get rid of two guys before the regular season starts. Um, so you brought up Charles Bassey earlier. Like I I'm now nervous that Charles Bassey isn't even going to make the team because he's only got 75,000 guaranteed on his contract until mm -hmm. January 10th. And you know, when you've got Embiid, Harold Reed, and then PJ Tucker, who I think part of the reason you signed, him is because he can play some small ball five it feels like bad asset allocation to have you know a, a third of your roster dedicated to guys who will either mostly play center or entirely play center in the case of Embiid, uh Montrez most likely and then Bassey I think as well so I'm I'm keeping an eye on that I think that's the big storyline uh Sixers wise for the next month is just how do they cut down on this roster logjam Right now, they're about $765,000 away from the apron, which is the line they can't cross between now and June 30th. So they cannot sign anyone until they do start waiving some guys. You know, a lot of the guys who are in danger of being cut, Bassey, Isaiah Joe is fully non-guaranteed. Trevlin Queen only has $300,000 guaranteed on his deal. Paul Reed, I think, should be safe, but worth noting at least that he is also fully unguaranteed until opening night. So like they will create more room under the apron by cutting these guys, probably at least 3 million, regardless of which two they get rid of. Um, but it does limit their flexibility in terms of, you know, who they can trade for because they just don't have a bunch of big contracts. And, you know, again, you can't cross that apron at any point. So like you can't trade pork Maz and Thibel for a guy making, you know, 13 million because that would probably push you over the apron. So I think it does suggest that they are going to they'll they'll rectify this roster logjam however they will going into the season but they're otherwise probably like i know a lot of Sixers fans want Thibel gone at the first possible minute i i have a feeling he's going to start the season in philly and we might just have to reevaluate closer to the trade deadline what's the impact brian if if they do end up end up crossing that apron like what, what what is the ultimate punishment from the nba are they just like hey you can't take the court you can't play a game do they have to give up draft picks what what would be the thing if they do end up um crossing the apron let's just say obviously I don't, they're not going to but i'm just saying hypothetically right. if that happened what, what what would be what would be the punishment there 
they literally can't. So whatever move, like, you know, you have to run every move by the league office. So if they like were trying to make a trade that would push them over the apron, the, the league office would say, no, this isn't legal. If they're trying to do a signing that would push them over, league office would say, nope, can't do it. So like they, when I say they can't do it, they really cannot under any circumstances cross that line. Okay, I, I I got you. And you know, I was I, I was actually thinking one thing earlier when when you were answering the question about Trevor and Queen. I'd love to have three hundred thousand dollars guaranteed, right? I mean, if that that's yeah. totally cool, yeah, that would that would be great. <laughs> that's not bad. Us. Yeah, that's that's, not a, bad. That's, that's a great thing for an NBA player. Even you looking at Charles Bassey, it's like, yeah, I hope he he finds his footing somewhere. I, again, I look at Bassey as a project. I think yeah. he's two years away, three, you know, from even just being a rotation guy, but has the ups, has the athleticism. He's just a beast on the on the on the boards. You look at his his body composition he's just big dude who, who's able to you know agile he can run like a gazelle so i do hope he finds his footing somewhere if that's not with the sixers uh let's jump into some robert sarver talk the phoenix suns owner ended up being suspended for one season uh baxter homes of espn has been all over this for quite some time if you remember this story did come out towards the end of of last year i believe or beginning of this year in terms of the the first initial stages of hey that work situation in phoenix and that organization not exactly smooth there's been some stuff in terms of him being misogynistic making sexual advances and comments towards female employees also making some racial remarks uh when you look at what the league has decided to do here a one-year suspension a 10 million dollar fine for his behavior do you think the league sent him a message with this and sent a message to the rest of the nba board of governors always weird to me not saying owners anymore but board of <laughs> board of governors uh, in terms of, hey, we're not going to tolerate this kind of stuff happening inside our workspaces. If anything, I feel like it sent the opposite message. Like, given yeah. the severity of the accusations, I don't think Robert Sarver should be in the NBA anymore. And, you know, the I know a lot of people pointed this out, um, but the, the, the first page of the NBA's release when they announced the results of the investigation and his suspension you know, they, they they list among the key findings that he repeated the N-word, that he engaged in instances of inequitable conduct toward female employees, engaged in demeaning and harsh treatment of employees, but then said the investigation made no finding that his workplace misconduct was motivated by racial or gender-based animus, which to me is like, I guess they're saying he was just an, a dickhead to everyone. So like that... It, I don't know. I, I I just it makes me cringe that this guy is still going to be involved in any way in the NBA. And I think, you know, a lot of people have made this point that uh, I'm sure if you go digging deep enough, a number of people on the NBA Board of Governors probably have similarly uh, concerning skeletons in their closet. So they are not trying to you know, force the issue here because they don't want the magnifying glass turned on them at the some point. But it just it feels very hypocritical relative to the response to Donald Sterling, where it's like, what is the difference? You just have one audio recording and that's that's the reason you can force him out, but you can't force Harvard out. Yeah, I think that I, I do think that's that's the hard evidence, right? That separates those two cases, Brian. You look at it and and with Sterling, yeah, you did have tape. You had him, you know, making these comments where Sarver, although he said he he, you know, is not happy with certain findings. I'm paraphrasing here that mm -hmm. um, he wasn't totally thrilled with the with the with the punishment that the league gave him, and uh, you know, he's still angry to from basically um, with 
the fact that he has to sit out or not really be there for a year and and, and pay this fine. Although let's be real, they're they're going to find a way to get him involved in certain decision making when it comes to the health of that franchise. But when you look at this, do you think this will give Sarver any incentive to possibly sell the team? Or is that like, nah, this guy's going to stick around. He's going to make sure that he's back next year. And again, say that he's made all the necessary changes and and maybe pretend that he's made all those, although I'm not going to say that he won't. Uh, but do you mm-hmm. think this will give him any any sort of motive to move on from the NBA? I would be surprised, especially in the context of the new TV deal coming up. And if, you know, possible expansion, like all of the owners or all the governors get a cut of those expansion fees. So if anything, I think, you know, maybe he's willing to move on in a couple of years. But right now there is a giant windfall awaiting in the next like three years in particular. I think no uh, majority governor or ownership group is going to want to sell unless they're forced to. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I I, I do, th- but I, I do think that now that this is completely out, like I mentioned, ba- Baxter Holmes had wrote about this way back in, in November now of, of last year, late, or the, looking back at the dates um, when this initially came out. But you look at at, at this and, and how the NBA can handle this, and may, maybe more people are going to come out and, and speak out on certain things, and maybe uh, we're going to get some more information on this that might hurt Sarver's chances of actually returning. But again, the guy's going to sell his team for, what, $2 billion? You know what I mean? So don't feel at too least. sorry. Don't feel too, too sorry for uh, for Robert Sarver. We'll wrap, we'll wrap up on this, Brian. Uh, looking at the lay of the land in the NBA, we know what teams have, have made what moves. Obviously, I, I think Boston still remains the, the top seed in the Eastern Conference coming off that finals loss to Golden State. Added Malcolm Brogdon. They sorely needed a point guard. Got that now. Obviously, the hurt uh, hurts them. Pardon me, that uh, Danilo Gallinari not going to be available but with that ACL injury. But I love getting people's opinion on this. Haven't had you on the pod uh, for a while now. But when you look at the Eastern Conference and you have your top five teams, and again, I think the East is completely loaded. I think if you look at last season's 10 teams that made the playoff slash play-in, I think you're going mm-hmm. to have the exact same mix of, of those squads. Atlanta added DeJounte Murray. Cleveland obviously getting Donovan Mitchell. Uh, the Hornets with LaMelo Ball being a year or older, and I don't think the Knicks, Wizards, Pacers, Pistons, or Magic did enough to even climb into that conversation, although Washington with Bradley Beal likely going to be on the on the cusp of that, depending on what happens in Charlotte. But when you look at the, at the, at the, the top of the Eastern Conference, where do you have the Sixers amongst those squads? Because you got the Miamis, like I mentioned, the Bostons, the Milwaukees, uh, Chicago should be decent again, but Brooklyn now with KD running it back with with Kyrie Irving, and if they're healthy and no vaccine mandates, like where do you where do you put the Sixers <laughs> amongst the amongst the elites? Yeah, I, Brooklyn's in its own tier because we just need to see it before we can believe them. Like we we need to see that KD is not just moping his way through. We need to see what Ben Simmons looks like after a full year off. So like on paper, they have the talent to be one of the best, if not the best teams in the East. I'm not putting them in the top tier right now just because they are so hypothetical at the moment. Um, I think Boston, Milwaukee, Philly are the top three in whichever order you want. I think a lot of people would have Philly third in that mix right now, which is mm-hmm. fair because we don't, we haven't seen what James Harden looks like. I think that's one of the biggest questions Um for not only the regular season, but the playoffs is, you know, did this full off season off give Harden a chance to really recover from that hamstring injury? And if he looks like a totally different person, if he looks like his, you know, not, he's not going to score 35 points a game in Philly. They just don't need him to do that. But if he looks 
looks like that type of person, if he has his burst back in particular, that really raises the ceiling for the Sixers. So I think it's fair to have them third right now, but I think they had an unbelievably good offseason. You know, I I know a lot of us at Liberty Ballers have been somewhat down on the Montrez signing, at least in terms of like what it means for their overall upside. I think it's a great regular season move, but as you mentioned earlier, like major questions about his usage, particularly in the playoffs with Doc. We've seen it happen before in the Denver series a couple of years ago with the Clippers. Mm -hmm. So like I, I frankly think Doc and Harden are probably the two biggest questions for the Sixers heading into the year. And where whereas, you know, Boston just made it to the finals last year, Milwaukee won the year before that. So I think they deserve a little bit more built in. Like we know what we're getting out of these teams. The Sixers are a little bit more of a wild card let's see how these new pieces fit together but it, on paper everything makes sense and they should be a much better team than they were last year let's be honest brian the number one question the only question with the sixers even if without james harden is doc rivers what the hell yeah. is this guy going to do and i think everybody everybody kind of nervously waiting to see how he implements things because i haven't seen doc get testy as he did last year remember that going no, into the playoffs and people were questioning him giving up leads. Obviously, they were up 3-0 on the Raptors. And then the Toronto came back and won two in a row. So everybody was questioning him on that. So I think he is the, the huge question mark uh, going into all of this. I think the Sixers have made great moves right up there with the best off seasons of any team in the league. When you add mm -hmm. P.J. Tucker, you add DeAnthony Melton, you add Daniel House, hopefully getting a, a more in-shape Harden, arrested Harden without the hamstring injuries, and now bringing in Montrezl, who, again, if he doesn't work out, no harm, no foul, right, Brian? Is that is that really what is going to happen with Harold? Like, if if things don't go good, they can just kind of get rid of him for pennies on the dollar and not really have to deal with any long term ramifications. Yeah, I mean, he's got a player option next year, which yeah, I'm assuming he would turn down at least just to get a bigger contract. So, um, I don't think it's going to have any long term implications. It's just really his usage, and you know, if if Doc sticks by him, my concern with him, like. I think he's going to raise the regular season floor. I'm concerned that Doc is not going to experiment during the regular season, that he's just going to use Montrez. Okay, Montrez is our backup center. We're just going to stick with that regardless. Whereas like a team like the Sixers that is talented enough, you know, barring catastrophic injuries, should be in the top six in the East. Like this is the time to figure out what you have in some of your other weird, funky lineup groups. Like let's run out some three guard lineups with Melton, Maxie and Harden. Let's trot out PJ at the five. Let's trot out Paul Reed at the five. Like, let's see what these guys have. So when we get to the playoffs and our plan A doesn't work, we have these other options in our back pocket. I'm worried that we're not going to see that. And Doc's just going to stick with Montrez regardless. And Paul Reed's going to get buried. Like, you know, maybe we see a couple PJ at the five lineups, but not nearly as many as we should. And then we're going to get to the playoffs and things are going to go awry. And it's like, oh, well, we're going to just have to adjust on the fly because we didn't prepare during the regular season. Yeah, we saw that with DeAndre, the corpse Jordan, right? Who parlayed Correct. his time with, with, the, with the Sixers into a new contract <laughs> with the Nuggets. So good for Doc. He's at least he's getting his loyal soldiers uh, paid. Brian, <laughs> <Yeah>. let's, uh, <laughs> Brian, let's, uh, let, let's wrap things up here. Uh, always enjoy having you on the podcast. Love reading your work not only at Liberty Ballers, but at Forbes as well. And and of course, hope we get to do this throughout the regular season uh, regularly as well. For sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me on anytime, man.
All right, that's Brian Toporic. You can catch his work with us at uh, Liberty Ballers. Also does some Sixers writing at uh, Forbes as well. And you can catch him on Twitter at B Toporic. That's B-T-O-P-O-R-E-K. I'm at JazzKang21. That'll do it for this episode of Sixers Daily. we got a new show launching on Thursday. Uh, just recording this on a Wednesday afternoon. But uh, Josh Reynolds is going to be joining our podcast network. So he'll be having a new show coming up on Thursday. Don't forget to check that out. And Sean and Dave will be back with the Talking About podcast on Friday. As I mentioned off the top, as I always do, subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us wherever you get your fix. Always appreciate a five-star review as well if you're inclined to give us one. And don't forget to check us out at libertyballers.com.